The following recording is from the Parramatta Christian Church pulpit series. These sermons are freely available at pcc.org.au. I'm sorry, I don't normally do this, and so please, worship team, don't feel like I've got favorites, but I just want to say generally, our team do an amazing job every week, and, um, and we are so blessed, we are so blessed as a church to have a group of people that are committed um, to doing what they can do to help us connect with God through music, and so... Yeah, good morning and welcome to church. And um, I'm, I'm just a bit confused because, you know, people are sitting in all different places today and, and, and then people that don't normally come to this service are here at this service today and, yeah, it's just surprises, surprises. So um, I just need to, to um, breathe, <laughs> breathe. Um, okay, so we are starting a new series today, uh, and, and uh, this series is going to take us pretty much to the end of the year. So don't freak out, it's 12 weeks till the end of the year, but um, you know what? God can do amazing things in 12 weeks to teach us, and I pray that we're going to be able to learn together and, and grow together as we, as we look at things. So what are we going to learn um, the series is called Come and Adore, but I think it's just going to called, be called Come and Adore Him or Come and Adore Jesus because you can come adore a whole bunch of things, but we want to be specific about what we're adoring and who we are adoring, really. And so it's Come and Adore Jesus. Ah, there it is. And uh, there's going to be two aspects to this um, series the first aspect that we're going to look at is worship. So this week and next week and uh, the last two weeks in the year, so if you can imagine the bookends of, of a bookshelf um, is, is going to be to worship. We're going to talk about what it is and what, it, what the Bible says it is and, and how we can worship and, and just dig in a little bit more about that. And so our aim is um, to think about what does it mean for us as new covenant people to worship in spirit and in truth. And, and we'll be looking at what the Bible says about worship and how it's ch- uh, developed and changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And uh, the second aspect will be the bits in the middle that, that come between the bookends. And that will be all the titles or some of the titles that are used to describe Jesus in the Bible. Um, and our aim is to, to draw our attention and our focus to Jesus and to be captivated by him. And so that we can be stirred in our hearts uh, to be able to worship him more passionately. And uh, just so that we can understand a little bit more about him and get to know him that when we express our hearts of gratitude and our devotion and and our passion to Jesus we can we can do that with understanding so try and be here every week uh, and and our and our prayer and our hope is that together we can learn and grow and that we can become a, a worshiping community that knows how to worship him in spirit and in truth um, yeah, so I am a little bit of, uh, of a stickler for use-by dates. I find them very important and useful. 
Um, and, and the reason being is that, you know, I grew up in Sri Lanka. My first 12 years, which are meant to be your formative years, um, were in Sri Lanka. And, and, and you know, um, there, there's no such things as used by date. Or there weren't. <laughs> there weren't when I was growing up there. It might have changed now. It's changed. Thank God. But when we were growing up, you, the used by dates, you, how you know something was expired is that it had mold or the ants had gotten to it or there were weevils in it or, or worms. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so you'd left it in the sun too long. That's how you knew that something was used up and you couldn't use it anymore. Um, and the thing is that as I've grown up in the church, because I've kind of been in church all my life, you, you kind of watch how, how things get have a use-by date in church as well. What was good in the 80s is not so good in the 90s, and so on and so on. But we have to be careful when we, when we come to things about church and about God that we don't put a use-by date that God hasn't put in there. And, uh, and so my hope today is that as we talk about worship, um, that we look at how worship is described in the Bible, um, how it's developed and changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and, and what kind of worship has stood the test of time. So I've called my talk Timeless Worship. It means there shouldn't be a use-by date or an expiry date. And my prayer is that at the end of this talk, we'll be able to understand the kind of worship that our Father is looking for. And that we can orient our whole self, our whole person, towards worshipping him that way. Father, I thank you for this moment in time for us to stop and to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our advocate our counsellor, the spirit of truth that Jesus promised would teach us all things. And so come, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying this morning. And please help me. In Jesus' name, amen. So it's always good to start with the what. What is worship? What are some of the definitions of worship? So if you look in the dictionary, it has words like adore, idolize, esteem, reverence, homage, worship. And if you look in the Bible, um, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a whole bunch of words that mean to prostrate oneself or to kneel or to bow with deep, deep respect, to work, to serve, to honor to honor God, to render religious service, to hold in awe, to revere, to fall down in adoration, to fear the Lord. These are a whole bunch of things that, that the Bible writers used. But the interesting point to note here that these words that were used in the Bible weren't exclusively used towards God. These words were used in common expressions of respect and worship to elders, to rulers, to kings, to leaders. So it wasn't just talking about God. So that's why we need to kind of step back and we need to look at what the Bible says, what God has said about how we are to worship him. And that's always helpful because we don't get hung up on things that have a use-by date then. We have a different perspective. 
So I just want to quickly move through. Please forgive me if I'm going to read this more than I'm going to look at you for the next little while because I just don't want to get stuck um, on this part because I think the more important part is coming afterwards. Um, so I'm just going to move through quickly through um, five main movements of the history of worship. So if we look at the patriarchal age, which is like when Abraham and Jacob and Noah and Moses... We're only missing Isaac in that one. Um, but he was there too. Um, in those times, worship was as a result of direct manifestation. God manif- showed himself. He, people had encounters with, uh, with God or God said to them, this is how I want you to worship me. And it was more a personal or a household thing. That's, that's how we see worship in that sense, in that age. But then we come to the Mosaic time where Israel was in the wilderness or the time of the judges and Saul and David, the the beginning kings, it became a more formalized process. And there was rituals and it was all based on the Sinai covenant that God made with his people. And also it became more corporate, corporate and centralized to the tabernacle. And that's what it was all about because God's presence used to come in there. And it was based on the fact that God had redeemed his people from slavery and brought them out. And he really wanted them to be a a holy nation, a a group that was set apart for him. And, And so they were to only worship him. There was only meant to be one, one God. And that was it. And then in the temple time in Jerusalem, the, the rituals and the processes and the sacrifices were all maintained. But the worship activity and the, and the direction of the worship was centralized towards Jerusalem because the temple was in Jerusalem. And if you remember when Solomon prayed, you know, God's glory came in there and that was it. You know, God was in Jerusalem. And uh, the other exciting part is that the Psalter and the Psalms and the inclusion of music became a prominent part of temple liturgy at this time. Just an interesting note, um, one of the writers say that it is because the poor priests that used to set up the tabernacle and pack up and used to carry it, porter it around, once the temple was built, they didn't have anything else to do. So they had to find them jobs. (laughs) Either way, we're glad for the inclusion of music. And then we move on to the time of Jesus, where there were synagogues. And uh, Jerusalem was still a main focus of worship, but the Jews under Greek and Roman rule had been dispersed. And so it was, it was easier for them to meet in the synagogue and, and pray and worship. But they all made the trip during the feasts and the festivals to Jerusalem where animal sacrifices were still made and that was important. And then after Jesus' resurrection, people were still meeting in the temple courts and, and um, there were lots of Jews that were being converted and, and forming the early church. But soon they were persecuted. And, and particularly after the stoning of Stephen, they were scattered all over Judea and Samaria. And so then they started meeting in their homes and they started meeting every day because they needed that fellowship and that encouragement But then we look in the second half of the New Testament. Everywhere Paul went, outside of Judea and Samaria and and Palestine, Palestine, (laughs) um, wherever Paul traveled, churches were being birthed and, and people were coming to know Jesus that were not Jews and churches were becoming predominantly from made up from Gentiles or pagans. 
and they gathered weekly. And as we can see from writings from Paul, you know, the, the common forms of worship um, became that they had communion like we just had this morning, which was remembering uh, Jesus. They had singing. They practiced giving and charity. And they read from the Old Testament and they were taught from the scriptures and the doctrines of the apostle and the letters that were written and they functioned in spiritual gifts. And so here we are today as the church and what we know is the church. So some of the common things, if we think about all of that, some of the things that have continued from the patriarchal times all the way to Revelation and the New Testament uh, is that there is always a sense of preparation and purification and consecration. And then there is the acknowledgement that there is need to be, there needs to be sacrifice, there needs to be death, there needs to be blood, there needs to be some kind of redemption. There's also acceptance and forgiveness, which has access, that gives us access. There's thanksgiving, there's rejoicing, there's adoration, there's teaching, there's instruction, there's the learning, spirit-prompted encouragement, there's charity, there's care for the poor, there's generosity, there's sharing of resources, there's looking after the widows and the orphans and the fatherless, and there's always an expectation of obedience and action. Where there's an expectation of what is on the inside needs to come out on the outside. And what we do on the outside needs to transform the inside. So these are all things that God expected from the very beginning and still expected by the, by the time the book of Revelation was written. Uh, there's only a few things that have changed. And uh, that is that we've gone, um, and I think we've got a slide for this. The things that have changed is we've gone from it's being a personal thing in the patriarchal age. It is very much a corporate thing. It is a personal thing and a corporate thing. Um, and animal sacrifices are no longer required, thank God. Thank God, because some of us would be gagging. But it's because of Jesus' costly sacrifice, his selfless sacrifice. And, of course, the way we do things, the method, the time, the place, that, that's all stuff that's changed. So you might be thinking there, so what? What does this have to do with me? Why is this relevant or important for us to consider as New Covenant believers when it comes to worship? See, there are many forms of worship, even today. There is so much debate as to what worship is and what worship looks like, what it should sound like, what it should smell like. And it's just such a limited expression of what worship is. The emphasis that we place on worship is so limited. And these are the things that put a use-by date. Their appeal will expire eventually. But as we can see from the Bible, when, when the Bible talks about worship, it's beyond the outward forms and tradition. It goes deeper than the internal emotions and reasoning and understanding. 
timeless worship is what true worship is. And that's, that's what we hope to discover and learn more about this morning. So firstly, as true worshippers, we would prepare ourselves as per God's instructions. True worshippers prepare themselves as per God's instruction. We recognise our state. That is the first thing we have to do. That is a thing that we always need to do. You know why? Because it unifies, as a commu- it unifies us as a community of people, right? Because we need to humbly take responsibility for what we bring to the table, who we are, who we really are, and are aware of our own motives and our own intentions on a daily basis, just like Vicky encouraged us to do this morning. And I just love it. I love it because what she was talking about is some of the scriptures kind of that what we're going to look at when we ex- it's not just examining ourselves we're always encouraged to do that Be- but we need to examine ourselves because we can't keep ourselves from sin so for the patriarchs for example you know god gave them step by step instructions on how to prepare themselves when they were coming to meet him when they were coming to appear before him. In the Mosaic law, for example, there were recurring instructions and rituals for any given situation, like ceremonial cleansing and consecration of the priests and, and what, was, what, kind of, what offerings were appropriate for the kind of sins that you communicated, uh, that you did. And in the new covenant, Jesus requires us to examine our hearts to examine our motives, our attitudes as preparation for worship. And can I just say, when we're talking about worship and we're talking about true worship, because we've established the fact that it's timeless, don't keep thinking about when you come to church. When we're talking about the rest of these things here, I'd love for you to think about every day, before you go to work, before you have your meal, before you make a phone call, before you do something, anything, everything, not just on a Sunday morning. It's become more about doing this on a Sunday morning. It's about when you wake up. It's about when you go to sleep. It's about examining ourselves. It's about looking at our own selves first taking responsibility for us. So in Matthew 5, 23 to 24, Jesus, this is an interesting thing that Jesus says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, not that you have something against your brother and sister, but that your brother and your sister have something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. And then, this is something that we've heard very often before we've had communion. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, for I received from the Lord. Oh no, not that part. Um, In verse 27, so then, whoever eats the bread... Not even that one. Verse 28. Everyone ought to examine themselves. 
before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that's really interesting. So it's about us examining ourselves, but also being aware of things that other people might have against us. So there is a story told about a man who was praying with his pastor at the altar. And uh, the pastor had heard this prayer from this man many times before. And the man was sick of praying the prayer. But he prayed anyway, Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. And then just as he said that, the pastor said, yes, Lord, please kill the spider. (laughs) So many times, this is our prayer. You know, we're praying for God to take the cobwebs out of people's lives or even our own lives, but we never ask God to kill the spider. Sometimes we're so busy praying for other people's cobwebs and other people's spiders. We've got Halloween decorations growing in our heart. <laughs> so let's examine ourselves. Let's, let's see and, and worry about what God has to say for our hearts. That is true worship. Secondly, true worshipers willingly participate because of God's mercy. There is a humbling sense of gratitude. You know, the, if we look at it, the patriarchs worshipped this way. God instructed his people to worship him with, with a heart of gratitude. That's how Jesus commands us to worship him. Uh, that's how the apostles taught the early church to worship God. And you know what? If you read Revelations, particularly Revelations 4 and 5, I kind of had a bit of a, a, a giggle because... You know, the the elders and the beasts and all the people that are around the throne, they're saying things, but they keep falling off their chairs and they're on their knees. It is an active kind of worship. It is not just something that is just said. The patriarchs did active things, like they built altars, they killed animals, they, they, they brought sacrifices. And the, in the, the law of Moses, you know, the priests had to do the killing and the slaughtering because the people had disobeyed God so much. He, did, he was worried he was going to kill them. So there had to someone be in running interference. But the people had to still bring their sacrifices to, to the Lord. They had to take responsibility to come before the Lord. In the new covenant, Jesus was the sacrifice who offered himself on our behalf. And and he met our purification requirements all at once. In Hebrews chapter 9, if we look at Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 and 15. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. 
And then if you look at verse 15, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from sins committed under the first covenant. And then if we go over to chapter 10 and look at verse 22, this is the beautiful invitation that we have. Um, It says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus' sacrifice was total. It was all-consuming. So our reasonable response to that as a true worshipper is our whole entity, our whole person. Everything that we have, which includes our mind, our body, our spirit, our thoughts, our hands, our actions, our heart, our soul, our words, our deeds, everything. In, in uh, Romans chapter 12, and I won't talk about this too much because I believe um, Hill's going to speak about this next week. Um, but in Romans chapter 1, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Why? This is your true and proper worship. Everything. Everything, it requires all of you. That's how we show humble gratitude to our Savior. Because he gave everything. He didn't hold anything back. And sometimes we, uh, we forget about gratitude. We come expectant. We, 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 become with fe- we come with feelings of entitlement. Like, for example, these two friends that met each other after a long time, and this one friend was very sad. And so the other friend said, why are you so sad, old friend? And he said, well, three weeks ago, my uncle died, and he left me $40,000. And so his friend's like, oh, that's really sad that your uncle died. He goes, no, but really, then two weeks ago, a cousin died, and he left me $85,000. And so this friend goes, Well, that's such a blessing. But you don't understand. Last week, someone else in the family died and they left me a quarter of a million dollars. And so this guy's really confused now. His friend is going, so why are you so sad? Because this week, there's nothing. (laughs) You know, we're like that. We're so like that. We forget the daily blessings that God gives us. We have breath. We sang about that this morning. We have breath. We have health. We have food. We have clothes. We have homes. We have everything we need. And yet, if something of that isn't working very well, or God hasn't answered a different prayer for something more or something else, we start to wonder, does God really love me? Why has God forsaken me? 
Because you know what? The greatest gift that God has given us and the greatest blessing that he has given us is in Jesus Christ. And if we have nothing else, we should be able to say, thank you, God, for that. That is true worship. So when we come here on a Sunday and the words are not working and your favorite worship leader is not leading and the music is too loud and the singer is way off key, do you have a reason to worship? Yes, you do. On Wednesday morning, when your car doesn't start and your children have got under your skin, do you have a reason to worship? When you wake up on Saturday morning and you're feeling absolutely lonely and you wish you had someone to wake up next to, do you have a reason to worship God? That is true worship. Number three, true worship. True worshipers are single-minded in their purpose because it's all about Jesus. Why does it need to be all about Jesus? Because it guards against idolatry. Idolatry was all throughout the Bible and is today a common hindrance for true worship. And it is the root cause of false worship. In Exodus 20, verse 2 and 6, God, I don't think God could have gotten any clearer than this to his people and to us. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, am a jealous God. And then here's the reason why not to have any other God. Because I will punish the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. And here's a reason to worship God alone. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I can drop the mic right here, but I won't. It's so true. When we talk about idolatry, we think about images. We think about things, physical things. But you know what? Any kind of images. We can have images in our mind. We can have things in our heart that we love more than God. People that we love more than God. And that is the danger. We're all in danger of doing that. And the psalmist in Psalm 86 says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might know your truth. That I might live according to your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honour you. And honouring God is worship to him. A.W. Tozer write this, writes this, If your life does not worship God, your lips do not worship God either. And you know what? Jesus' words reflect 
uh, Jesus' words confirm Tozer's words. And I think Tozer came up with this because of Jesus' warnings to the Pharisees. In Isaiah 29.13, where he says, These people come near me with their mouth and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules they have been taught. So just to bring this all to a close, because I know I'm running out of time. I'd like us to please look at John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And this is the bottom line. This is the absolute bottom line. Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he's saying, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem because you Samaritans worship what you do not know but we worship, that we Jews, we worship what we do know. Yet a time is coming and now has come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. And you know, I spend a lot of time looking at this passage in preparation for this talk. And these are the things that struck me. Jesus states that true worship equals worshipping the Father in spirit and in truth. Jesus also says that the worshippers who belong to God must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not an option. It is a directive. If we want to be true worshippers, we must worship God in spirit and in truth. What does worshiping God in spirit and in truth look like? Well, it's our head and our heart. It's our emotions and our reason. It's our knowledge and obedience, which is our understanding and our practice. It's our attitude and our action, it's our, which is our values and our behaviors. True worship is not limited to a time and a place and to rules that man has or to a day or to music or lyrics or any other preference. True worship is timeless. True worship is timeless because it's spirit and in truth. And it is the whole person. It is the whole person. What we do here, what we do at home, what we do when no one is looking, that is all true worship. And you might be feeling overwhelmed at this time because I was feeling overwhelmed. I'm like, God, this is almost perfection because I really want to worship you, but I know I let you down and I don't worship you and I worship a whole bunch of other things all the time. But here is the way that we can worship because true worship is enabled by the Holy Spirit, which is why in John chapter 14, Jesus is comforting his disciples and he says to them, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Forever. Not just while you're here on the earth, but forever. The spirit of truth, 
the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be with you. I will not leave you as orphans. And then we go on in verse 26, he says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Jesus said we would need the Holy Spirit to worship him in spirit and in truth. We need the Holy Spirit for us to be true worshippers. We can't do it on our own. So let's close our eyes and let's just take a few more minutes, just one or two more minutes. And I just love you in the light of everything that you've heard this morning. Can you just take a few moments to examine your own heart in relation to worship? What is, what is your thoughts and your motives when it comes to worship? How have you been approaching worship? Let's take some moments now to repent of any false ideas of worship that we have had. Have we limited worship to just temporary ideas? Let's repent. Let's ask God to forgive us if we're worshipping anything or anyone other than him. Every moment. And allow the Holy Spirit to maybe identify some of those other things that have been part of our false worship. Father, we thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for encouraging us. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful that you come alongside us. And you shine the torch of your love to show us the things that need to be dealt with in our lives. Lord, we repent of our false ideas of worship as a congregation. Lord, as your church at PCC, we repent. If we've limited worship to singing, to music, 
And Lord, we ask that you would expand our idea of worship to be true and to be timeless. Expand our ideas of worship to everything that we do, to every day of our lives. And Holy Spirit, we invite you, Spirit of Truth, to teach us how to be true worshippers, to enable us to worship the Father in spirit and in truth. If that is your desire, then I encourage you to stand with me. And if you're comfortable, just lift your hands to the Lord as an act of surrender and worship. Lord, we do this simple, physical thing of lifting our hands to you as surrender. Because we are not our own. We have been bought with a price, which is the blood of Jesus Christ. And so today, we offer our lives to you. We pray that we would be an acceptable living sacrifice because we recognize that it is our true and proper worship to you. Help us as we leave here today to start worshiping you even in our interactions over tea and coffee. Lord, as we go home, as we continue our week, help us to be prompted by your Holy Spirit to be in timeless worship with you. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, if you're here this morning,